Welcome to the Life Together podcast. Life Together is a Wednesday gathering for worship, Bible study, and community at Discover Church in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. We hope that this week's message will encourage you and challenge you. Our mission here at Discover Church is to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Tonight is week five in our five-week series. We've spent five weeks walking through uh, all three of Paul's missionary journeys. So in the book of Acts, between Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 21, we see Paul going all these trips and in these trips. He's preaching all the time. Every time he gets a chance, he's preaching. But we only have five of his sermons recorded in the book of Acts. And so we've been looking at these five sermons, five sermons in five different cities. And he preaches these sermons in five different cultures. And he does something that is very wise, that is very impressive. And what he does is every time he's speaking to a different group of people, he adapts the good news that he's preaching to preach good news in a way that is wise, compassionate, and compelling. Uh, we've got special guests with us tonight. We've had special guests with us over the last couple weeks. So we're going to hear from them in a few minutes. But first, we need to take time to look at this last sermon that Paul preaches. And so we can look at that today on sermon number five this week. As we get started, I want to share with you something that Paul said that wasn't in the book of Acts. It was in one of his later epistles known as 1 Corinthians. What's interesting about all the other books that Paul writes, so he wrote 13 epistles in total, and all of those letters or books that kind of fill up the rest of the New Testament. But it would be interesting to know that all of those other books still fall into the timeline of Acts. So in the book of Acts, we have Paul beginning, middle, and end. So all of his timeline is in that one book, and then you could almost insert the books that he writes into that timeline. So in Acts chapter 19, we know that he spends three years in a city called Ephesus, and while he's in Ephesus, he writes the book of 1 Corinthians. So somewhere in the middle of Acts chapter 19, Paul sits down and he writes the book of 1 Corinthians. If I put that in the timeline of our series, Acts 19 would be after the first three weeks of our series, Antioch, Lystra, and Athens, but it would be before the sermon that we're going to look at today. So this is somewhere in the middle of his missionary journey that Paul sits down to write the book of 1 Corinthians. And I want to read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. It is a missionary manifesto, and I think it's a great way for us to start tonight as he expresses his heart as a missionary, and I believe it ties into our heart in this series that God would raise up a missions heart in every single one of us. Let's read this together. Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the, the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I'm not subject to that law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law, so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share in their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share 
and its blessing. Let's pray together tonight. Father, we love you. I pray that you would help us to chase after this. I pray that you would teach us how to find common ground with everyone, doing everything to save some. I pray that you would teach us how to do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. I pray that there would be a missionary heart inside each one of us. I pray that you would awaken our creativity and our imagination tonight to think of the ways that we can grow, to think of the people that we can share good news with, and that it would light a fire in us tonight to see good news spread across the city, through our neighborhoods and our family systems. We need your help. We need your good news. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The goal of this series is to encourage each one of us in our calling as missionaries and preachers. You may never stand on a stage, you may never hold a microphone, but we are all called to be preachers of good news. Here's our quick review for the series, and we can see how well you can do if you want to quiz yourself. So in the city of Antioch, we listen to Paul preach good news to a group of God-fearing monotheist. He was there in the synagogue, and he started off in the Old Testament. Why? Because they already believed in those scriptures, and he made that their common thread. In the city of Lystra, we listened to Paul preach good news to a group of superstitious polytheists. These were the people who still believed in the Greek gods and the mythology, and he called them friends. In the city of Athens, we listened to Paul preach good news to a group of educated atheists. These were the ones who loved philosophy. They loved deep conversation, and they had moved past beyond religion, and yet Paul found a way to entice them, to interest them with good news. Last week in the city of Miletus, we listened to Paul preach good news to a group of dedicated believers. This was the week of preaching to the choir, of those who had worked, of those who had served God, those who were faithful, and encouraging them to strive forward to what was ahead. Tonight we're going to find Paul going all the way back to home base as he walks into the capital city of Jerusalem. It's interesting that Paul forecasts where he's going to be before he actually gets there. Several chapters back, in that same chapter where he's writing the book of 1 Corinthians, in Acts chapter 19, he says something, and he lets us know where he thinks he's going to go in the future. And in verse 21 and 22, he says, afterward, Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go over to Macedonia and Acacia before going to Jerusalem. And after that, he said, I must go on to Rome. Which is really fascinating. So years before he does this, years before he actually walks into Jerusalem, he feels the Spirit compel him on his plans. And his plans are, after I do all of these missionary journeys, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And then I'm going to go to Rome. This is exactly what he will do. What he doesn't know yet is how he's going to get to Rome. So this last sermon of the series is also the last public sermon that Paul preaches as a free man. So at the end of this sermon, Paul is going to be chained, he's going to be imprisoned, and he will spend the rest of his life in prison. So he will be going to Rome, but he's not going to be going to Rome in the way that he thinks. He will be arriving to Rome for trial as a prisoner, and that's how things wrap up. If you thought that some of his sermons previously had ended poorly, hold on. <laughs> This one's going to get 
a little bit rough. And in order for you to understand what really goes wrong, it's important that we all understand a little bit about the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. So the Temple Mount is a big flat area in the middle of the city of Jerusalem. It's huge. It's like 37 acres. And on this mount, they hold the the most sacred place in all of the city of Jerusalem, and that's the Holy of Holies. This was a respected place. This was a protected place. And around the Holy of Holies, in kind of concentric circles, there were different barriers and fences that were set up to show off how exclusive this place, how special this place was. So in the very middle there would have been an area that was marked off that only the priests could go to. And then out a little bit further was another boundary where only Jewish men could go to. Out a little farther was a place where only Jewish men and women could go to. And then way out at the edge of the Temple Mount was the place where Gentiles or non-Jewish people were allowed to be. There's a Jewish historian by the name of Josephus, and he talks about this wall. These weren't invisible walls. These were fences, physical barriers that had been set up to keep certain people out of certain places. This historian talks about a sign that was placed on this wall and all around this wall, and specifically the wall that was meant to keep the Gentiles out. We don't use this word anymore, but in in the time period of Jesus, Gentile simply means anyone that wasn't Jewish. So unless you are of Jewish heritage to the Jewish people, you are a Gentile. So it is, it is a very strong us and them setup. And they believed that the Gentile people could not be redeemed. And so they wanted to keep them out. If they were unholy, they had to be out of this holy place. Josephus documents what this sign said On this wall, and I want to read that to you. The sign said, No man of another nation is to enter within this fence or enclosure around the temple, and whoever is caught will have himself to blame for the penalty of death that follows. It's really interesting governmentally because the Jewish people weren't running the city at this point. They were under Roman rule, but there were certain freedoms they were still given. And this is one of the freedoms the Romans gave them. Because this was a holy site, they had full permission to kill anyone on site who broke this rule. Anyone who passed past this boundary. They were very serious about the rules and they were very serious about how unredeemable the Gentile people were. They had a very strong commitment to this us versus them. In devout Jewish circles, it was an accepted belief that God had a specific purpose for making Gentiles, and the reason that God made Gentiles was to, quote, fuel the fires of hell. This is rough. This is dark. And that that's what they believed Gentiles were created for. And Paul was the guy who had just been traveling all around Greek, Macedonia, and he was going to all of these places preaching good news to who? to Gentiles. There's a a strange mix-up that occurs in the end of Acts chapter 20 that starts a riot in the Temple Mountain. Here's what happens. Paul is traveling with a Greek man, a Gentile man named Trophimus, and earlier in the day, there are certain people who see him walking around Jerusalem with this Gentile guy, and they're thinking, well, of course, This is that Paul guy who preaches good news to Gentiles, and here he is traveling with a Gentile man. Later in the day, Paul walks into the Temple Mount. 
he walks past the boundary into the area only for Jewish people. And at that point, he was traveling with other people, people who weren't, who, who were Jewish people, but the people who were watching didn't know that. They didn't know what was happening, and so they thought that Paul was still traveling with his Gentile friend, that he had just broke this rule, that this Gentile had just broke this rule. And even though they were wrong, they thought they knew what was happening, and the whole city starts panicking. And so there is this giant riot that happens, and they begin to lose their minds, and they have Paul arrested for what they think that he did, and now Paul is stuck. He's about to be dragged off to be beat. He's about to be dragged off to be imprisoned and possibly stoned to death. And Paul tries to slow down the room. He tries to calm every, everyone down. And once he does, Paul is going to preach his last public sermon to this group of very angry people. Each week of this series, we've worked to categorize these people. Part of the reason we do this is to help your creativity be moving, to think about, you know, who are the people in your life that might fall into this category? And if you knew someone who was in this category, how could you preach good news to them? We're going to categorize these people tonight, not by their religious beliefs, but by their state of mind. And we're going to refer to this audience that Paul is preaching to as angry gospel haters. These aren't people who are passively against the message of Christ. They aren't merely disinterested or disengaged. They are enraged by the message of Christ. Is there anyone that you know who has been enraged by the message of Christ, who hates the church, who is angry at God? How would you preach to them? How would you preach to them in a wise, compassionate, and compelling way? Let's see what Paul does. Here's verses 39 and 40. No, Paul replied, I am a Jew and a citizen of Tarsus and Cilicia, which is an important city. Please let me talk to these people. Which people? The angry people. The commander agreed, so Paul stood on the stairs and motioned to the people to be quiet. Soon a deep silence enveloped the crowd, and he addressed them in their own language, Aramaic. So Paul was speaking to his commanding, to his arresting officer in Greek, but when he goes to talk to the hometown crowd, he speaks the hometown language. This is the reason that if I have the chance to go to an authentic Mexican restaurant with Pastor Tonto, I let him do the ordering. I'm not sure it will get me better tacos, but I'd rather play it safe than sorry. And so he's speaking their language, and as he does, the mood changes. Verses 1 and 2 of the next chapters, he begins to speak, and he says, Brothers and esteemed Fathers, Paul said, listen to me as I offer my defense. When they heard him speaking in their own language, the silence was even greater. Have you ever, ever been into a room with a deep silence? Do you remember a few weeks back how he called a group of polytheistic believers friends? And now he is in a room filled with angry gospel haters. And he calls them brothers and esteemed fathers. The Greek word here for defense is apologia, which is where we get our word apologetics. Apologetics does not mean to apologize for being a Christian, but it means to reason why, to explain why you are a Christian, why you believe what you believe. Paul says, before you beat me, before you imprison me, give me a chance to explain why I believe what I believe. Have you ever had a nervous heart that this opportunity might come your way? 
Can you imagine a scenario where one day you are six inches away from an angry gospel hater and you have an opportunity to explain why you believe what you believe? I understand that this scenario could seem very intimidating and based on your personality type, you might be more or less apprehensive to this setting. But I want to encourage you that Paul does something here that I think every single one of us can do. And this is what Paul does in this moment, in this situation. Paul tells a story. I'm going to paraphrase the next 15 verses. Paul says, hey, I was a Jew. I was a really good Jew. I studied, I worshipped, I was well-respected, and I was an angry gospel hater. I had heard about Jesus' message of forgiveness, and I hated him for it. If Jesus can just forgive sins, then what about all of this work I've done my entire life to be good enough, to be worthy? Then one day, on the side of the road, Jesus captures my attention. He supernaturally appears to me. He blinds my physical eyes, and he opens my spiritual eyes. I was baptized, and Jesus forgave my sins. You know, there will always be something wonderfully inarguable about your testimony, about your story. Was this a good moment for Paul to start quoting scriptures? Probably not. But in this fierce, tense moment, Paul says the one thing that you can't argue with. He says, Jesus changed my life. He says, I was an angry gospel hater. And Jesus got a hold of me, and he changed my life. Paul says, look what God did in me. Okay, I warned you that this sermon does not end well for Paul. Let's see what he says that makes things explode. Verses 17, to 17 through 21, he says, After I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple. Which temple? Well, it's the temple he's standing in right now. And fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, hurry, leave Jerusalem, for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. But Lord, I argued, they certainly know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And I was in complete agreement when your witness Stephen was killed. I stood by and kept the coats they took off when they stoned him. Paul says, I was an angry gospel hater. You did a work in my life, and I was an angry gospel hater, and I see them, and they are angry. If I could get saved, why can't they get saved too? But as I'm continuing to read, he says, But the Lord said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Paul says the word Gentiles, and the crowd erupts. In fury. If you read this next verse, it is uncanny. He says, the crowd was listening until Paul says that word. Which word? Gentiles. And when Paul says the word Gentiles, this crowd bursts back into their angry, rioting mode, and they start going crazy as they go to chase him down. It was like the word Gentile was like a cuss word to them. Paul says Gentiles, and his sermon is immediately over. Paul is arrested, and he will spend the rest of his life in chains, which is why I have to ask, why did Paul say that word? If Paul had everyone calm down, why did he have to say the word that made them so angry? 
Before we answer that question, I want to ask the three questions we've been asking of each sermon each week. And here's the first one. Was Paul's sermon wise? Yes. Yeah, Paul is in the middle of a riot, and he manages to calm people down. He makes some very wise political statements to his arresting officer, and then it starts, and then he starts speaking the hometown language, the hometown people. Paul is in a very complex, heated situation, and he's being very wise. Number two, was it compassionate? Yes. Paul doesn't preach, I'm better than you. Paul preaches, I am you. I was an angry gospel hater, and God saved me. He got my attention. The only difference between the sinners outside of the church and the sinners inside the church is Jesus. He's the only thing that makes the difference. Thirdly, was it compelling? You know, this question pulls me back to that word Gentile. You know, why did he have to say that word? If they were listening, if he had calmed them down, why did he have to say that word? He said the word Gentiles because he said the word Gentiles because the gospel always has to be compelling. Great sermons don't end in applause. Great sermons end in action. When Paul says Gentiles, he says, you've missed it. You rejected Christ, you rejected the gospel, and now the gospel is going to pass you by. And it is going to pass you by, and it is going to go to your enemies. The gospel will not wait around for you. The gospel will not operate by your limitations. You can either submit to it, or you can be left behind. You cannot negotiate with the gospel. Following Christ is not a negotiation. It is a full and complete surrender. So if you think you can keep playing these games, if you think you can look all religious and keep hating your enemies, there's no deal. And Paul pushes, Paul was willing to risk the anger of many for the chance to save the few and preach a compelling word. I hope that God will teach me, will teach you how to preach a compelling word. I pray that he will teach each one of us how to preach a wise, compassionate, and compelling word in good news because we all know that the world needs it. And we all know that we have people in our families, we have relationships, we have friendships, we have people at our workplaces, at our school places who are desperate for good news. I want to invite our friends to come join us up here on stage. Um, I'm going to introduce them as they come. Um, This is Jeff and Catherine Winkleman. They have been in town here for six or seven years, and they lead a college ministry on the UW-Milwaukee campus. And it's through the Assemblies of God. It's called Chi Alpha. And they have been leading this group for many years. And in the category of evangelism, I, I know these people really well. They are my friends. And I have so much respect for the intentionality that they bring to their evangelism and discipleship on campus. And so I'm really excited to have them with us. Can we just give a round of applause and welcome them? 
we are a church that supports their ministry and that helps them continue to do what they're doing. Um, for those of us who don't, may not know you at all, can you give us just a basic explanation of who you are and what you're doing here in Absolutely. Milwaukee? Absolutely. That's very kind of you, kind words. Um, we are Catherine and Jeff Winkleman. So we do, as Dan said, Chi Alpha, which is the Assemblies of God campus ministry. So we spend our lives with 18 to 21-year-olds um, on campus in our homes, staying up late, feeding them lots of food because that's the way to their hearts, um, talking about Jesus, talking about life, quoting SpongeBob of all things. <laughs> um, we kind of do it all with them. And our, our deepest heart with it is to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus and so on and so forth for the rest of their lives. Like that, if we can help students know how to participate in the kingdom of God, not just for a couple years in Chi Alpha, but for the rest of their lives, then I think we're doing our job well. Do you know how many campuses or colleges in Wisconsin have a Chi Alpha ministry? I think it's 10. It's 10. I, yeah, something like that. Yeah, which is, which is so cool. One thing that I love and really respect about the ministry of Chi Alpha, both in our state and across the U.S., is that they have, they have such an intentional way of training up disciples to disciple, that if you talk to a Chi Alpha person from Wisconsin or one from Florida or for Texas, you can feel a little bit like you're talking to the same person because these strategies have been so intentionally laid out. Can you talk a little bit about those strategies and like the training of where's my starting point with someone and how does someone go from not knowing Jesus at all to being a disciple for other people? Yeah, at the core of it, we really believe the gospel at its core is relational. Um, so something we say all the time is the kingdom of God is established on relationship. That's Jesus. He's incarnate, came to us to be with us. He could have saved us from a distance, but he chose to be among us. Um, and so that is the heartbeat of what we do. We want to be in the lives of students, want to build relationships, because uh, college students don't really like outsiders to talk about Jesus. Um, but if we can get to know them and build a relationship, then walls come down and trust is established. And so, so much of what we do is trying to um, build a relationship that leads to a trust where we can display uh, godly character and demonstrate how he lives, but also um, describe who Jesus is, what he's like. Um, and so that, it's a long journey of learning how to just be a friend with a college student to bringing them into discipling and, and all that. And we teach our students to do the same. So they're doing this in their classes and in their classroom. And so all those really hard conversations that we're kind of, you know, like we as, you know, church people can be scared to have with angry Christian gospel haters. Um, our students are having those conversations. And though our students are having those conversations with a basics, basis of relationship and love, and they're able to have these conversations that we feel like are so often impossible. And, it, yeah, they're building bridges and talking about Jesus, and it's a really cool thing to see. We were talking a little bit this morning just about different generations and the different um, kind of cultural challenges that happen with each generation, you know, some things that can make us really inclined towards the gospel, other things that can make us um, uh, difficult to connect with the gospel. Can you just share the different generational breakdowns? Yeah, and totally. A fun way to do it in this room is, would you do a little raise the hands oh, for people sure. that are in each um, bracket? Okay, so any boomers so in the room? So boomers, I don't, I don't know all the age groups, but yeah, 
these people that age. I don't know the age. Um, and then next is Gen X. Um, so Gen X, I'm sorry because you guys like keep getting the insult of Karen, which is really not fair, but that's <laughs> what you guys get to deal with. Um, millennials, any millennials? Yeah. yeah we were told for a long time that we're just entitled and we're snowflakes and that's okay. Um, and then Gen Z, anyone a Gen Z? Is oh, that, no, oh, Gen Z. So Gen. No, 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 oh, we have a couple. Year. We have a couple. Is that is that twenty five and under? I think yeah, so. Roughly twenty five. Around and under, that. Yeah. I don't know what changes. But this. Is, so this is this is because I think what we were talking about this morning was like talking to um, older generations. How do you reach younger generations? And something that I and we are really passionate about is Gen Z is coming up, and we want Gen Z to learn from us, and we want Gen Z to realize they're only 18 or they're only 20. But the problem is they're coming up, and they're seeing all of us rag on every other generation. They're seeing us hate on boomers or hate on Karens or hate on millennials. And so they're, that's what they're coming up into. So, of course, they do the same. And we've kind of created this, as a culture, we've created this place where people don't trust people outside of their own generation. And so this idea of needing to like, I think of Paul who told Timothy, like, don't let people look down on you because you're young. And I think that's, if we can break down those walls, if we can respect Gen Z, if we can see the good in who they are, then they're, <laughs> then they're more likely, they're going to be more willing to listen to us. And I think sometimes we feel like, sorry, I'm going to just keep going. I think sometimes because we're older, we feel like they should listen first but we're older. We should set the example, and we should listen first. I don't know. Mic drop. That was really good. Yeah. <laughs> should, should I leave now? Am I getting kicked out? So, so tell me about some of the things that you notice about this young generation that's different or ways that you would change the way that you speak or listen to kind of connect with the challenges that they're facing. Termini terminology changes like crazy, like no caps, billity, it, this is sus. Um, that's a lot it's of fun. Bussin'. It's bussin'. Or bussin' bussin'. This <laughs> life together is bussin' bussin', you guys. Um, no, but so that like... I have no idea. <laughs> a couple of you know. Um, no, that aside, I think what we see is this is a generation who, I mean, they're digital natives. Like, this is a generation who knows their phone and knows tech's not technology. They're growing up. Like, AI is becoming a thing. Like, they are growing up in this. Like, they know their phones. They know social media. They are connected to people around the world in ways that we couldn't fathom at that age. Um, we're also seeing a generation that really cares about justice. They really care about justice. And I think sometimes that can scare us because we don't know if we agree with the justice they're fighting for. But Jesus fought for justice. Like Jesus went in and made people angry because he was fighting for justice. And I think that's a good bridge we can build. And we find a lot of students who maybe aren't sure about the Bible. They're maybe not sure about Christianity. They like the book of Luke, also written by... Luke also wrote Acts, because Luke is writing to Gentiles, to outsiders, and he's very intentional to lift up women who weren't treated well, and he's intentional to lift up the poor and the downtrodden. And so I think we're so often afraid of these things, but they can be really beautiful bridges when we're willing to stop and look. Yeah, and, and we see this, this generation is so, like, they have so much passion behind it, and what they need is some wisdom 
that helps them navigate how to fight for their things and how to see the pitfalls of their passions and their zeal for justice. I mean, this is wild. It's like, you think about Paul tonight, what he's saying, right, is that when he was young, he was someone who was passionate about persecuting Christians. He was there holding the coats for them as they stoned Stephen. And then God took that life, and he took the same passion, and he turned it into a passion to win the lost, right? And so when we see people that are young who are passionate about fighting for causes that, that we would believe are not biblically congruent, I wouldn't lean away. I'd lean in and see what God can do and what God can do with that passion. Yeah, it's, it's a gift. It can be a more of a win for the church than it could be a loss. We have, we have a student, um, she, she just graduated, actually. I, she was, like, an amazing small group leader with me. But she was a STEM major, so she was in, like, sci- a lot of science classes. And so she had a lot of classmates who did not like Christianity because they felt like faith and, Christianity, faith and science clashed. And how could anyone not believe in science? And, like, you've heard it. I don't need to list off all the things. But she did an incredible job of building bridges because she didn't go in trying to tear down what they think or tell them, like, nope, that you that you can't believe that. Science is wrong here. She went in saying, like, yeah, like, I, I know you believe in this. I know you believe in the Big Bang. I know you believe that. But I, I believe it had to come from somewhere, and I believe that somewhere is God. And so we have students who aren't afraid of these hard topics and don't get caught up in the nitty-gritty debating, like, how old is the earth? But help other people see, like, okay, whether however old you think the earth is, like, it had to start from somewhere, and why can't it be God? And she just did such an incredible job tearing down those walls. Since we're talking a little bit about anger tonight, yeah. um, you know, people get angry. They get angry Sometimes. in real life. They get angry at protests. They get angry online. Um, what has been some of your experiences with approaching anger, and, and how to react in a wise way in those moments. Yeah, we know that there is um, anger towards Christians in, in our, on our campuses um, that we reach. Um, and so uh, I think just from the, the start of that, as we are like thinking about that student or those, those ideas, maybe even overarching culture, um, I think there's often, I, I started I'm actually going to go backwards from even where I started this morning. Um, I think so often we can caricaturize everything. We can caricaturize um, a student to, oh, you believe that, which means you believe all of these things, and that means you're a problem. Or if you believe that, that means you're wrong on this, this, and this. And we kind of like build a whole picture about them because of their one idea. Um, That idea maybe we really want to address and maybe we even need to address but if we can have the wisdom to recognize that the anger that is out there or in these people we're experiencing has some real legitimate and complex roots, that I think gives us a whole lot more wisdom and compassion, like Paul had, to speak a compelling way of Jesus' heart if we're willing to slow down enough and also to check our own heart that if we know that there's angry people about, uh, you know, who are angry at our, our faith or other Christians, we can sometimes have a chip on our shoulders and try to prove them wrong for that or, or their ideas and how they are just off on, on how they're interpreting the church. Um, and so if we come in, though, with that perspective, I think we only add fuel to that fire. We come in trying to beat down rather than listening because people's hurt. Like, it matters. 
whether it was legitimate or not, it's hurt. It hurts real. And if we can be the people who, like Jesus, came down to our level and met us where we were, if we can do that to people who are angry at Christians, I think we can win over a whole lot of trust. And actually, we, we begin to do what Jesus says and absorb the hit a little bit rather than having to punch back. And it's like a healing thing. If we can be listeners to people who are angry at Christianity, have a beef with Christianity, um, it's really powerful to see college students who begin to talk about their story, about how they don't like Jesus or this idea, and they hear us or our students saying, I, yeah, I get that. It makes sense. Um, and I'm sorry you've had to deal with that. Or I'm sorry that it happened to you. Or, you know, and just listen. It's amazing to see how students respond to that and the trust that starts in that moment that we get to have the privilege to honor them, made in the image of God, and build a lasting relationship where they get to experience Jesus, the person of Jesus. Yeah, often when people are angry and they start asking questions, it's not the, they don't want answers to the questions. Like, we're, like, always ready to sit down and have a theological conversation, but we're often disappointed because that's not actually what they want. Like, what they want and need is to be heard because while we love the church and we love Christianity and we love the good it's doing in the world. We also know like sometimes we hurt people. Sometimes the church hurts people. Sometimes when people are angry, there's legit experiences that are fueling that. And so slowing down enough to hear those experiences like builds a bridge. So then we can like, yeah, also Jesus, like Jesus is different. Like, Can you share the story about a young man who had had a negative experience? Yeah, so um, this, this fall we met um, a freshman who came to UWM, and um, he actually came because one of our other new students who transferred in, she had gotten to know him. She was a Christian, found, got part of our community, and so she started building relationships on, in her dorm um, and met this guy. And they started hitting, hitting it off, playing Monopoly, of all things. They just played Monopoly over and over and over again. I don't like Monopoly. This is a horrible game. Uh, <laughs> That's just a Jeff thought. Sorry about that. Um, so they built this relationship, right? And she kept inviting him to Chi Alpha. Um, but this student has a Muslim background. Um, and so uh, he didn't really want to do that. But he also was, wasn't sure he wanted to be a, a Muslim. And there was kind of this kind of his own journey on this. But he eventually came to what we call a study blob, which is basically... Because studying yeah. is never a party, right? Yeah, like, it's not a study are, are, party. Are you saying blob? Yeah, blob. Yeah, blob. Like, Amoeba, because like, like you study party, you want to come to, we're like, these aren't parties, we're studying. So no, but we're also not study a study blobs. group because it's not really structured. It's not like there's a plan. It's just like we're just blobbing in the library. That's what we do. Um, so we go to the library. Students are hanging out. We take a table and like archival people are coming and going. And it's a great place for community to happen. Um, maybe a little homework to happen. Uh, but it's, it's been awesome for us. So we have like 10 people hanging out. And this, this guy comes to, to meet some of the Chi Alpha people. And a few of them, this was a Wednesday morning, and the Wednesday night is where our service is. And so uh, a couple people it asked like him. Five of five of us were like, so are you coming tonight? Do you want to come tonight? And I think he was even like, I'm not a Christian. And we're like, that's okay. Are you, are you coming? And he's like, I guess I have to now. You've all asked me. Which for him, so he, he does. He comes that night. And his mind, he is thinking, oh, as soon as I get there, once they find out what I think and where I come from, they're just going to cast me out. They're going to reject me. Because just a week before that, that's exactly what happened to him. A bunch of people who said they were Christians. At a got, different group. It wasn't our group. It wasn't our group. Uh, they, 
met with him, and he's like, I'm not interested. And, and one of them even told him to his face, oh, uh, let's not waste time with him. He's too ignorant to hear the gospel. And so he walks away from that thinking, I mean, that's fine. I don't care what you think. But, like, that's what Christians think of him. Yeah, so then he becomes that angry, stereotypical college student who hates Christianity because somebody who called themselves a Christian treated him that way. So he comes to Chi Alpha, and I don't know how it happened, but within like two minutes of him arriving at our like space, he has met like four or five of our guys and tied hoodie strings together with them. I don't know how it happened, but it happened. They're just like goofing off together, and there they are, six guys tied hoodie string to hoodie string to hoodie string. We start Chi Alpha, and they come down into the front row. He couldn't have left if he wanted to. Yeah, he's he was now tied down. He's there. He's stuck in Chi Alpha to hear the gospel, to see us worship, um, and to do life together. Um, and so he's in this place, worried if he's going to be rejected, and now he is being bonded, like literally bonded to these people, to people who just want to get to know him. And it was really cool because our guys, they were all small group leaders, and they, they read the room right. They, they saw this student come in, and they, they saw he was lighthearted. He wanted to have a good time, and they just had a good time with him. And they, it, just, it was a really cool connection that happened. And then after service, he came up to me. He's like, all right, I got questions. And he just started drilling me with questions, like good questions. I'm like, okay, but how can God, like, talk, tell me about the Trinity. How can, right? Like, okay, how can God be loving and also there's all this evil? And he just started asking all these big questions one after another. And I'm just like, I, I love this. And let's keep going. But, like, there's so much more here, right? And so we keep talking, we keep talking. And eventually, we, like, we have to, you know, move on. Um, and he gets the numbers of a few people, and then other of our guys start going on long walks with him just to process, just to ask. And he's got tons of questions, and they have, like, I just want to walk with you. I don't have all the answers, but we'll figure them out together. And they did. And this kid who started as, like, this Muslim was like, I don't really, I don't want that. Actually, you Christians told me I'm ignorant and not worth my time, not worth their time. Like, now he's got all these friends in Chi Alpha who, like, love him, meet him where he's at, and he's, they're we're slowly helping him see the heart of Jesus. And then by December, at our Christmas party, yeah, yeah, it gets good. At our Christmas party, he I comes downstairs, and in front of 35, 40 college students, he stops us all so that he can give his life to Jesus and pray the prayer with all of us holding hands. It was amazing. Best Christmas party ever. We also had, at our Christmas party, um, we had international students who also didn't know Jesus, like, standing there watching him give his testimony and watching him give his life to Jesus. And it's so cool because the story actually doesn't end there because he continued to, like, you know, this goes on, right? <laughs> but, like, we don't believe it ends there. We get to do life together centered on Jesus where we walk through the rhythms of life and, and seeing how Jesus shapes us and changes us, helps us see everything in a new light, letting him be our Lord. This is discipleship. And now he's passionate about reaching other people who don't believe in Jesus and want them to have the same experience. Is that awesome? That's awesome. I want to pray for a couple people. We're going to pray for them. We believe that God has placed an anointing on their lives to do the work that God has called them to do on that campus. We also believe that this anointing is not only for them. 
we believe that God has an anointing for every person who is in Christ to walk into the rooms that only you can walk into. You know, we're talking about a bunch of young people tonight, but I know I've got parents and grandparents in the room who've had a child or a grandchild walk away from the Lord who are living outside of community, outside of faith, and that God would give you the words, that the Holy Spirit would speak to you and allow you to preach good news in a wise, compassionate, and compelling way that more would come. Our world needs us. And so can you just stretch out your arms? We're going to pray for them, and then we're going to pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for Jeff and Catherine. I pray that tonight would be a night of encouragement for them, that as they're surrounded by this uh, group of cheerleaders here, we are the church. We are a church that is praying for them, that is encouraging them on, that there would be fresh uh, breath in their lungs, that there would be fresh energy for the things you've called them to do. I pray that you would give them favor on that campus. I pray that you would surround them with new leaders for a new season coming up this fall. And I pray, Lord, that they would see your proof all around them. There would be continual reminders that you are with them and you are walking with them each step along the way. I pray for every person in this room who believes in Jesus Christ, every person in this room who is called upon the name of Jesus Christ, that you would allow each of us to grow in our awareness, our ability, our bravery, when it comes to sharing good news. I pray for the lost people that are in our lives, for our friends and family members who have drifted away, who have never known you. I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to walk in your spirit, allow us to be in your timing, allow good seed to be planted into good soil, that people would come to know you and we would see your kingdom expand. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we see you in person. Join us Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. right here at Discover Church. Find us online at discoverchurch.org.